0: As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Loving God, as we hear again the Easter story, we reflect on what it means in our personal lives to keep going. May your spirit inspire us through these words to live as though it is our charge, our responsibility and our joy to keep asking, to keep telling, to keep believing to keep going, to keep serving, to keep loving, to keep awake, to keep watch, and to keep proclaiming. Guide our work, still our minds, and open our hearts to the tasks ahead. May we be faithful stewards of your word. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The New Testament scholar Don Jewell tells of a student who memorized the entire Gospel of Mark to perform it in front of a live audience. At his first performance, he spoke those strange and heartbreaking final words. They said nothing to anyone for they were afraid And only then did it occur to him what a non-ending this ending was. He stood there awkwardly as it dawned on him that his audience was waiting for a different ending, a proper ending, something that brought some closure to the story. Finally, after a few awkward seconds, he offered an authoritative amen and exited stage left. There was a collective sigh of relief and then loud and appreciative applause. But afterward, the student couldn't shake the feeling that he had betrayed Mark's text. So at his next performance, he delivered that final line, paused for just a moment, and exited the stage in silence, leaving his audience with a profound sense of discomfort and uncertainty. Yes, today is Easter Sunday, when we declare that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And when we sing and shout, Alleluia. And yet, underneath these enthusiastic proclamations, we might also be feeling a profound sense of discomfort and uncertainty. Because the fact is that our individual and collective lives often look a lot like the women at the tomb in Mark's ending, who even though they see the empty tomb and get explicit instructions for what to do next, are so overwhelmed by terror and amazement that they say nothing to anyone. How do we respond to the good news that Jesus is not in the tomb, but has gone ahead of us out into the world? How do we move beyond terror and amazement, discomfort and uncertainty to keep proclaiming that God's love has no bounds, but has been unleashed upon us all? I'll never forget the day my own Easter proclamation was called into question. It was a couple of weeks before Easter, and I'd asked one of my kids to help fill some of those plastic Easter eggs with candy for the church's annual Easter egg hunt. As we filled the eggs, he asked what they were for, and I said, well, they're for Easter, when we celebrate that Jesus came alive again. Oh, right, I already know that story, he said. We heard it last year, I don't need to hear it again. Then he gave me a skeptical look and said, You don't really believe Jesus came alive again, do you? The question surprised me so much that at first I just laughed. Well, yes, I do believe that, I said, but he wasn't backing down. Really? He said, you really believe Jesus came alive again? This time I realized I better get serious. Yes, I told him, I really do. To my dismay, he looked disappointed in me. Oh, Mom, he said, does that mean you also believe Jesus walked on water? I left that conversation feeling deeply unsettled. What in my life had led my own child to think I didn't really believe the good news of the gospel? Of all the four Gospels, Mark's is the one that forces us to contend with what we really believe about that first Easter morning. Unlike Matthew, Luke, and John, Mark offers us no post-resurrection appearances of Jesus to his disciples, no reconciliations between Jesus and those who had betrayed him, no chance for the disciples to touch Jesus' wounds and see for themselves that this living, breathing person before them was indeed the same Jesus who had died on the cross. In Mark, we get only the women who come to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body for burial. They know how to deal with death and grief and the deep disappointment they felt. What they didn't know is what to do when confronted with an empty tomb and an angel who says, he has been raised, he's not here. Go and tell the others to meet up with him in Galilee. In other words, in the place where it all began. It's no wonder that within a few decades, two alternate endings had been added to Mark's gospel, as if people assumed the writer must have been pulled away from his desk before he could finish. But scholars now agree that what we heard today is the ending Mark intended. An empty tomb, terror and amazement, running away, fear and silence. During a question-and-answer session after he gave a speech about religious themes in his writing, John Updike was once asked which gospel was his favorite. Without hesitation, he replied, Luke. Luke tells the best stories. But then he thought for a minute and added, yes, Luke is my favorite, but I most trust the gospel of Mark. It's the earliest gospel and the gospel least prone to wishful thinking. Mark's Gospel offers us exactly what we need on this day we can't really explain and don't really understand. Some realism. I mean, let's be honest. We are worshiping from our living rooms for the second Easter in a row, doing our best to muster some resurrection joy in the midst of a pandemic. And I'm not just talking about the coronavirus, but a pandemic of political division, gun violence, income inequality, voter suppression, racial discrimination. Add to that the fact that each one of us has our own litany of grief and loss, the desperation teachers, students, and parents have felt navigating virtual school the challenges of working from home or of not being able to work from home, the loss of time with loved ones we couldn't safely visit, the loss of milestone celebrations, graduations, weddings, funerals, and all the daily disruptions that are hard to quantify but which have compounded our grief. In the face of it all, It begs the question, why bother with Easter? Why bother tuning in to a virtual service to contemplate this strange claim? One might even call it wishful thinking, that Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. What if Mark is showing us what it looks like to give in to our fear and skepticism and doubt and inviting us to respond differently than the women at the end of his gospel. What would it look like for us to rewrite Mark's ending? And instead of keeping silent, to keep proclaiming, keep sharing the good news that death and terror, fear and doubt are no match for God's power and God's love. Louis Zamperini was an Olympic runner whose dreams were cut short when America entered the Second World War and he became a pilot. His story is improbable in so many ways, that a kid who caused all kinds of trouble from a very early age became an Olympic runner, that he was one of three crew members who survived when their plane crashed into the Pacific Ocean. And then he was one of only two who survived more than 40 days adrift on the ocean in a life raft whose meager supplies of food and water were quickly exhausted. Zamperini's raft finally washed ashore onto a Japanese island, and he and his co-survivor were promptly captured as prisoners of war. For the next year and a half, they were beaten, tortured, and starved by their captors. None of the guards was as cruel in their abuse as a man known as the bird. From his first day in prison, the bird targeted Zamperini. For no reason, in fits of uncontrollable rage, the bird would pounce on Louis, beating him within an inch of his life. In the end, Louis Zamperini was one of the fortunate ones who returned home, but his imprisonment continued long after his release. He turned to drinking to ease the pain and dull the memories. As his life wasted away, one feeling consumed him, hatred for the bird. Zamperini couldn't stop thinking of his enemy, and the more he obsessed, the more his life fell into disrepair. He had hit rock bottom when his wife dragged him to a revival hosted by an up-and-coming preacher named Billy Graham. When Zamperini encountered God, it changed everything. Overwhelmed by God's love and grace, he began taking responsibility for his life. He quit drinking and salvaged his marriage. He returned to Japan and confronted his captors, offering them the grace and forgiveness he had received from God. He looked into the tomb where he had wasted away since the war and discovered it was empty. Now, if Louis Zamperini had reconciled with his wife and found a job and gone on to live a quiet life, it would have been a remarkable story to be sure. But it would have been a story few people would know. But Zamperini spent the rest of his life sharing his story. He spoke to hundreds of groups about his ordeal, his anger, and the love and forgiveness and peace he found with God. The story we celebrate today does not end with the empty tomb. It can't end there. It can't end here with this service either. Like the women, we hear the summons to look at the place where Jesus' body was laid and see that he is not there. He has gone ahead of us to Galilee In other words, Jesus can be found out in the world, in the daily lives of people just like the people among whom he walked and talked and healed and taught. It is in our everyday experiences of hope and longing, wonder and doubt, boredom and ecstasy that we get the chance to rewrite Mark's ending by telling our stories of God's amazing love, that overcomes even our most harrowing losses. The writer Anne Lamott teaches a mixed age children's class at her church. Her main lesson is what she calls loved and chosen. Whoever shows up for a given class, and often it's only a few misfit kids, she says to them, you know what? You are loved and chosen. Isn't it wild? Can you believe it? In your current mood, possibly being a little cranky and teary and a bit of a mess, you are loved, you are chosen. She'll say, is there anyone here wearing a blue T-shirt? And a kid will look down and realize that, as a matter of fact, I'm wearing a blue T-shirt. And she'll say, you are loved and chosen. Or is anyone wearing their hair pulled back? And sure enough, the girl with the ponytail will raise her hand and Anne will say, you know what, you are loved and chosen. Can you believe it? This, she says, is the most radical thing we can believe about ourselves and share with others in a world where so many of us are filled with dread and constantly told that we aren't adequate. You, you who are at church in your living room, you who are wishing Easter was different this year, you who are tired of going to school on a computer or with a mask on, you who are hugging your dog because it's the only creature who really understands you, You who are cranky and restless and angry at a world which just seems filled with death and division. You are loved and you are chosen. God invites you to see that the tomb is empty and to look around in your daily life and discover that Jesus is right there with you, restoring your hope, soothing your soul, and inviting you, even you, to keep proclaiming the gospel story with whatever part of yourself believes it, the story that God has loved and chosen us all. Christ is risen for me, for you, for this whole broken world. Keep proclaiming, he is risen indeed. Amen.